Hello and welcome to the Kuban Brief, a podcast from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. On this series, we explore the opportunities and challenges facing the higher education business office. My name is Neil Gavigan. I'm the Policy and Advocacy Manager here at Nakubo, and I am joined today by Lou Mayer, Chief Finance Officer, Vice President of Finance and Treasurer, and Tej Patel, Vice President for Information Technology and Chief Information Officer at the Stevens Institute of Technology. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having us. Yeah, so just to get started, could you tell me a little bit about Stevens? Uh, where are you located? What does your student population look like? What are some of the things that sets you apart? Stevens uh, was uh, founded in 1870. Uh, we're located in Hoboken, New Jersey, uh, along the banks of the Hudson River with a beautiful panoramic view of Manhattan. Uh, total enrollment's about 8,000, and we're just about half and half undergrad and grad. Our primary uh, area of uh, emphasis in our academic programs is uh, STEM, so science, technology, uh, engineering, math, with a predominance in, in the engineering area. We also have um, computer science, cybersecurity, uh, in, uh, financial uh, technology, fintech, you know, a whole, whole host of uh, programs, but predominant uh, concentration in the STEM uh, area. Size of the operation, we're a $350 million uh, budget size. Uh, endowment, uh, modest at uh, 300 million. You know, fortunately, we've been on a great trajectory. Uh, applications for both undergrad and grad have been on the rise for the past several years. Uh, we've become more selective uh, in both uh, areas. So, uh, so it's a great place. Uh, I've been there for uh, going on nine years. Uh, Tej, you're Few years behind me. <laughs> three years. <laughs> three years. That's got to be a, a heck of a three years with everything we've had going on. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's great to hear, especially the STEM background, given that today we're here talking about cybersecurity. We're at the annual meeting of 2023 here in, in Orlando, Florida, because both of you are taking part in a session on cyber and ransomware attacks, uh, something that you both have personal experience with, um, having helped manage through an attack at Stevens. Uh, but before we get to that, could you, could you give us a bit of background? Um, it'd be helpful to have a better understanding of some of the trends in this space. What kind of forms do these attacks usually take? And, and is it how, how is that trending? Is it getting more, more common? Absolutely, yes, uh, Neil. When we look at the overall landscape within colleges and universities, about 74% of attacks are successful. Colleges and universities tend to be a high-value target for this kind of attacks. And there, there are common themes, starting from malware attack to ransomware. And a lot of time, the technical debt also plays a very critical role uh, in making uh, infrastructure and networks so vulnerable that makes uh, universities and colleges of high target for this kind of attacks. You might want to say a word to elaborate on technical debt. I don't think everybody's familiar with that term. Yeah. I know when we started uh, talking about it, I wasn't completely familiar with it myself. Yeah, it's an audio format, but I, I did <laughs> nod along, but I, I could use a refresher. Sure. So when I refer to technical, what I, what I, when I say technical debt, it's just not about software and hardware, but it also goes deep into business processes and the people and the skill sets uh, that they have acquired over the time. And once it becomes obsolete, they are the one who become a big target at universities and colleges for such attacks. 
So it sounds like one of the considerations for for these attacks is is staffing and institutional know-how. Is that is that kind of what I'm hearing? It's it's ensuring that the employees and and specifically students are aware of cybersecurity and what's taking place in the world of cybersecurity. And also, we are providing training and awareness, generally speaking, to the entire campus community. And so, when institutions are considering how best to defend themselves from such attacks, really, it's about it's as much about educating the staff and and students as it is providing you know working with third parties or I, I think it's a common ground right I mean if you look at what happens in today's digital world right the common attack starts from business email compromises right where you might get an email and you click on it because it looks so real and the next time students are filling out their personal information or or credit card information or or, or what have you. And what we are trying to do is, while we have solid controls from a security perspective in place, but we are also putting equal amount of efforts to make sure that our campus is, is security aware, and we are making efforts to, to provide dedicated uh, opportunities to train them so that they are aware of what's happening outside the world. So when they see this kind of email attacks, they can recognize them and not click it and report it to this phishing and security officers. Right? Is, it, is it fair to say, I think, that the social engineering aspect of this issue is as much a concern as sort of the technical, the IT condition of a university, the uh, investments it makes in upgrading its technology? Absolutely, yes, Lou. And uh, we make specific uh, efforts when we conduct penetration testing. For example, last year, we had the group call about half a dozen executive assistants and an administrator on campus uh, soliciting and asking for, for identifiable information, right? And this is how we provide and, and training and make sure that they're well aware of such social engineering attacks. And so when you have that information, how did you then deploy that? What is that? What is the outcome of that look like? Uh, we did very well uh, because we have been running a lot of simulations to gamification and we have partnered with a third party to provide this kind of training and awareness. And we were very impressed by our users, how they handled this call. And more importantly, I was very surprised that Almost all 100% of the users send a note to support at stevens.edu, letting them know that wow. we received this kind of calls. So that was the, the measure for me that the efforts that we have put in over the last two years, they're paying dividend finally. Yeah. We, we basically, and we're probably not dissimilar from other colleges and universities, we basically advise people uh, on campus, students, faculty, staff, when in doubt, if they have the least thought that there could be an issue, send it to IT. We have a phishing alias yeah. uh, that they can send an email to and say, I mean, I, I do it on a regular basis because yeah. uh, I, I get attempts my way, you know, at, at least, you know, once a week or so. Yeah. And the perpetrators are getting so good at it that you really can't tell on the surface whether it's legit. For yeah. example, um, some bad actor uh, got the email credentials for our president. And wow. so I received an email which looked like it was from the president uh, authorizing me to do a wire transfer. Now, fortunately, the president and I have 
you know, a, a wonderful partnership. And I know that he never asked me to do a wire mm-hmm. transfer yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or certainly would never do it via email. Yeah. So whenever I get something like that, I just automatically send it to the phishing alias. And we encourage everybody to do the same thing. And I think we're getting much better at it. I think, I think in general, I think people are getting much more sensitized Absolutely. to this issue. Right. And, and just to uh, echo Lou, we do the same type of rigor when we onboard new employees and students. Uh, we send them a, a simulation, fishing simulation uh, exercises, and if they do click on it, they get redirected to a training where they have to go through a specific training to make sure that they're fully aware of what's happening. That makes sense. I think it's kind of fun too, right? I mean, I, I know I, sometimes I get these emails and I get a kick out of seeing them and then passing them on because... You feel like uh, you did a good thing that day. It's also worrisome, though. Oh, absolutely. It's worrisome because, again, they're looking more and more and more realistic. And so this, I mean, talking about the people that are kind of perpetrating this stuff, what is it about higher education? And I think we touched on this a little bit, but what is it about institutions that make them attractive to the folks that are committing these crimes? I mean, you no, know, it's, a, it's an easy target uh, when we talk about the sophisticated uh, attacks, right? There, there are a number of things that play a critical role. I think number one being the fact that colleges and universities store a lot of PII, personally identified information that belong to students, including health record in a lot of cases, right, where it's a, it's a, it's a prime gold mine for, for hackers and attackers to get hands on it and make revenue out of that, right? So that's number one. Number two, Colleges and universities are, are, are tend to focus on learning, teaching, and research, right? And a lot of time, we operate in a siloed environment where you have multiple systems doing the same thing, where the, where the data footprint it across the campus. And a lot of time, we don't have the resources to make sure that this data and, 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 and storage systems and what have you are fully protected and so on and so forth. And the last one, the research Specifically, if you are doing a research with NIH or Department of Defense, that data, it's invaluable. And they have figured it out that a lot of time these universities and colleges don't have resources to keep up with what's happening outside in the digital world. And they have figured out a way to exploit them to, to their advantage and benefit. So these are some of the, the areas that, that they have found very lucrative when yeah. it comes to colleges. And, and in general, wouldn't you say that... Um and I don't mean this in any disrespectful way, it's just the nature of the type of organizations colleges and universities are. In some cases, there may be less rigor than, say, there is in the corporate world. Um, you know, universities you know, typically are operated in a little bit more of a, a democratic uh, manner. And, yeah. and I think um, certain areas of the university might want to have you know, more discretion over the selection of systems. They may or may not want to involve the IT group mm-hmm. in partnering with reviewing those systems and vendors and whatnot. And, you know, that exposes uh, universities, I think, a little bit more than maybe other organizations. Right. And, and also, I already talked a little bit about the technical debt, right? I think universities tend to get the full life cycle out of this outdated end-of-life hardware and software and and not they they tend to shy away from the best of the best uh, 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 systems that are available, and that also contributes to some of this as well. Yeah, that all makes so much sense, and is it makes as much sense as it is scary. Yeah, 
Um, yeah. But that's fascinating. And the, of course, the background is, you know, we, we've got to use all best efforts to control costs, both operating yeah. costs and capital costs, because we've got to keep the rates of tuition increase modest. Absolutely. So, yeah. So that adds a further economic pressure right. uh, on the institution in terms of how much it can dedicate to investing uh, to keep, you know, current uh, state of the art systems. And also, like, I think at the end of the day, it's the, it's a value add plus cost and making sure that we are still ensuring the business outcome, right? Yeah. Which is learning, teaching, and research. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. And it's such a unique issue. I mean, perhaps not an issue, but a facet of higher education that really you're, you're serving students yep. and, and you, you need to serve them, yep. you know? And uh, I, I don't think you should uh, uh, retract yourself, but it is a unique issue in higher ed. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I know I personally have a better understanding of kind of the background of what's going on here. And I, I, I would love to hear a bit about the cyber attack that you actually faced, not just in theory, but in practice. Uh, Stevens, I believe, was attacked in 2019. Yes. And if you could just give us a bit of an idea of what happened. So would prefer not revealing too many details. Absolutely. We don't know who's listening to this podcast, Neil. <laughs> so we don't want to invite future breaches <laughs> i invite you to share as many or few details as you feel comfortable so this is this does go back four years as you said 2019 but we had a, a ransomware attack that uh basically uh impacted our infrastructure uh, not our data so much but our infrastructure and and rendered uh our technology infrastructure completely inaccessible so on the morning that this happened folks were getting messages that they couldn't, you know, log on to their computer or maybe they were in the middle of doing some computing work and it just kind of, you know, shut down. So, wow. So basically for all intents and purposes, all computing came to a screeching halt and we had to shut down our system and we had to shut down our website and keep in mind the timing. Fortunately, it, it, it was while school was not in session, probably could have been you know, a more dramatic impact, but it was right before school was starting. So it was right around the time that, you know, bills were due. It was right around the time that students and their parents were checking the website for information about, you know, student housing and such. So, um, and to be honest, it was, it was a bit embarrassing for us. We're, we're a technology institution. We're an innovation institution. We, we teach cybersecurity. We teach computer science. So, it exposed some uh, vulnerabilities uh, for us. Uh, fortunately, it was identified very quickly. And then, of course, we had the decision, like most institutions have, uh, you know, do we pay the ransom or not? You know, um, and so we chose not to. And, um, you know, we basically shut our system down and rebuilt it. Yeah, wow. And uh, took took some time. I guess we were out of commission for probably... I'd say we were completely out of commission for, for a couple of weeks. And so not only a huge issue, given the fact that you basically can't use computers, but also the reputational issue of yes. having to put out these, these media fires and this reputational damage. Yeah. That, that's, so this is at least a two-pronged, yeah. I mean, not to mention <laughs> shutdown computing. That's a, that's a lot of problems. Well, it's three-pronged because then there's a cost factor also. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yes, of course. Yeah. Wow. Uh, because we had to, you know, uh, as we rebuild our systems... We didn't. We didn't put them back to where they were. Yeah, we elevated them significantly, so that that uh, required additional uh, investments. I'm sure. So that was, um, you know, that was an unpleasant uh, experience. I think we, you know, we recovered, you know, very well uh, from it. I think it taught us a lot about ourselves. I mean, I think, um, and again, this is probably not dissimilar from other small, mid-sized institutions. We, 
we didn't necessarily think we would be on the radar for the bad actors. We thought they'd be more interested in sort of the larger uh, institutions, sure. medical centers, uh, major public universities. And uh, it was a stark reminder that, you know, all of us, regardless of the size of our colleges and universities, we're all exposed to the risk uh, on a regular basis. And we have to constantly be mindful of that. You know, fortunately, uh, shortly after that incident, um, our uh, we hired a new uh, CIO, Tej. <laughs> so, so Tej uh, joined us from a, uh, a well-known institution, the University of Pennsylvania, and he brought to, to Stevens, um, you know, uh, sort of a higher level of rigor uh, in, in this area. And, um, and we deployed a very uh, robust remediation uh, plan and really adopted uh, best practices. I think one of the most important follow-up questions that, that you could possibly ask is, you know, you can look back and see what happened. Is there anything that you would share with with folks who haven't had to experience this? I mean, what can they learn from your from your experiences? Is it just invest in uh, the best people and products that you can, or is there is there something else that that maybe they could take away? They should make sure that they are always implementing best practice. Uh, applications uh, and and they should consult with you know maybe an outside consultant uh maybe their internal audit uh folks to let them know what what that is right uh you might want to say more about some yeah. of the details there Tej. sure lou uh, neil i think it's a great question right and uh, when you look at today's a uh, lot of colleges and universities i think the number one thing they must have is certain governance around cybersecurity in place through a, a solid cybersecurity program, right? That's the must nowadays. That is backed by solid data policies and security policies. That actually goes into detail to describe data classifications and, and so on and so forth, right? That's a must. The second one is the representation and, and, and getting the board and executives involved. I, I tell Lou all the time, the CIO-CFO relationship, it's so critical nowadays where we are looking at everything from a risk perspective, right? Where do we put investment while we look at the, the return on that investment, value add, and make sure that we are not compromising anything? So that's the second thing. The third thing is it's important to empower CISO right, the chief information security officer. One of the things that we did when I joined Stevens is um, we had, we, we, when we created a CISO role after I served as an accidental CISO for about eight months, lost some hair, as you can <laughs> tell. Uh, one of the best thing we did was uh, we have a dotted line for CISO who reports into our audit and risk committee. So he regularly provides cybersecurity updates to the board, to the audit and risk committee, and make sure that we, we, we have a sense of transparency and collaboration between the, the administration and the board. And the last thing is, we spend tremendous amount of time with faculty, staff, and students now, right? We want to know what they're doing, how they're doing, what are they not doing. We want to work with the researchers to provide them with best practices so they're able to secure their data, their research, so on and so forth. So these are some of the fundamental things that I, I, I strongly recommend that all size of colleges and universities must do on a regular basis. I would add two things to that. One, in, in recent years, uh, we elected to outsource our internal audit function. Uh, we previously had an in-house audit function that served us well, but one of the benefits of outsourcing internal audit is 
they can bring in experts from any area of the university that you want to pay attention to, including uh, the IT area and the cyber area. So we have our internal audit folks, our outsourced internal audit folks, actually do uh, IT audits hmm. as part of their audit plan annually. So that I think that was a we previously hadn't done much uh, in in that area. Um, and the other thing we would obviously remind uh, people that they're probably already aware of is the importance of cyber insurance. That's helpful not only to have insurance uh, to protect against losses, but the cyber insurance companies, they typically will provide guidance mm. on what they're looking for and how they're measuring the level of risk that an institution may or may not be exposed to in this area. Right. And um, so that's that's been very helpful, too. We, we meet with our cyber uh, insurance carrier uh, annually. Uh, we have to complete you know, extensive uh, checklists of what we're doing, and they keep us posted on kind of what the state-of-the-art practices are that they're seeing throughout the higher ed sector. It's fascinating. I mean, it sounds like a lot of this comes down to communication, collaboration, and transparency, mm-hmm. which is true for so many things that yeah. happen in a campus and on, you know, and in life. I mean, and also to echo uh, uh, Lou, along the same line, your your digital strategy that supports your business strategy the cybersecurity becomes the part of the DNA at that point. So one of the things that we did, or two of the things that I would mention is, we have outsourced our security operations center 24-7 to a third-party vendor now, because we know that we, we are not able to sustain the resources and the investment that it requires, right? That's one thing. A second thing is um, uh, having a solid compliance and a partner from a CFO's office. It's so critical because they keep you straight a lot of time, right? Because when you have a short amount of time and resources, it's very difficult to keep up with what happens in the outside of the industry, right? That makes sense. I think this has been a, a fascinating conversation, and I've, I've actually learned a lot here, so I appreciate both of your time. Are there any closing thoughts that you'd want to add or... A reminder to everyone to be ever vigilant. This is only getting more challenging, don't you think? It's it's it, it's not going away. Uh, Tej can give you the details, but you know the, the 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 bad actors are actually on their side of the table, running it like a business. Yeah. So they are actually generating revenue. They're probably budgeting that revenue, <laughs> and uh, you know so and those entities are probably only growing larger and more sophisticated, and so. It's not going away, uh, and we just have to constantly be on the defensive. Right. I mean, well said, Lou. Um, it's a continuous improvement process, right? And uh, it requires partnership across the campus. But I, I think uh, a continuous uh, collaboration and transparency is a key, and uh, continue to make investment in the right areas to make sure your security posture is strong as ever to prevent against some of the sophisticated attacks that are happening. So uh, as my dad says all the time, right, a good driver is someone who can see an accident far from coming and knows how to avoid it. There's no such a thing as a perfect cybersecurity, right? But it's like, what can you do to avoid that kind of incidents or make it harder? I think that's the game. I think that's the perfect way to close the conversation. I think that's really... uh... That's fantastic. So so again, Tej, thank you so much, Lou. Thank you so much. And um, thanks for listening. And uh, just a reminder, you can find the Kubum Brief wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Neil.